Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. I'm your host, Jill Miller. Our guest today is Angelo Papakristos. He graduated from the University of Toronto with a Bachelor in Science uh, and a physiotherapy degree, completed his MBA from the Schulich School of Business, and completed the Advanced Clinician Practitioner in Arthritis Care Program. He works to advance physiotherapy practice at Unity Health, St. Michael's Hospital, Toronto, in the areas of Hip and Knee Joint Assessment Center, sports medicine, and rheumatology. His rheumatology focus spans over 22 years in early inflammatory arthritis, spondyloarthritis, seronegative arthritis programs, and osteoarthritis programs. He is also an adjunct lecturer at the University of Toronto Department of Physical Therapy, and he lectures extensively on medical and allied health professionals on the topics of spondyloarthritis and inflammatory arthritis, and he also has a keen interest in providing ongoing patient education via support groups and associations. Dr. Oh, I did it again. Angelo, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we're very glad to have you. Thank you very much, uh, Jill. Always uh, pleased to uh, be part of the SAA and, and uh, hopefully we can provide uh, a great stimulating conversation and uh, Always, uh, always welcome to provide some insights. Yeah, so we're going to talk today about physical therapy and managing spondyloarthritis. Uh, in terms of a chronic disease like spondyloarthritis, what what would the goals of physical therapy be for for someone that you have as a patient? So, just broadly, maybe we can get into it um, a little bit further uh, on the specifics, but broad terms when uh, discussing physical therapy, what do we do? What what kind of value? Uh, we mm -hmm. really simplify things. We really think of it in a, in a few domains. It is a chronic disease that uh, you're trying to look at managing over a span of decades. So we kind of look at it. How do we identify what we call impairments? look at those impairments and try to improve of those to try to improve overall function for the patient and then trying to minimize overall disability, whether that be occupational, uh, within the home, your environment, et cetera. So really we're looking at identifying some restrictions or some impairment that that patient has. Then we look at how do we can optimize those to improve their function and then minimize long-term disability. Three buckets, very simple, broad. Okay. How do how does physical therapy help with improving mobility? So that's the next. So it's very broad, and not now it's getting into the uh, the specifics. So physical therapy, it, it's it's very very broad statement, and a lot of times when we refer the patient or or the the families a lot of the times come and say well what do you do what what is physical therapy and a lot of times the referrals come from the uh, family practice team or nurse practitioners or even the rheumatologist with 
physical therapy and a diagnosis. But what is that? What do we provide? And you can think of it in a few different uh, buckets. Um, number one is a lot of patient education, you know, education on the services we can provide, the disease, uh, looking at overall disability, uh, and how we can improve that 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 cl that client within the environment. You know, what what identify their needs and their goals. Really, that's that's a huge bucket. The next component of that is trying to implement uh, the actual guidelines, uh, the treatment guidelines for spondyloarthropathy. One of the the big buckets in that, and its standard uh, of care, is to provide non-medical therapies, and the biggest one is physical therapy, education, regular exercise, and smoking cessation. Those are sort of the overall arching principles and the recommendations for management of axial spondyloarthritis. The physical therapy component is really the stretching, the strengthening, the postural re-education, prescribing the correct cardiovascular conditioning program, you know, making sure you, we guide patients on things not to do. For example, uh, manipulation, spinal manipulation is contraindicated. So it's, it's a lot of education on, on what not to do and the appropriate things uh, for that patient to manage. Um, a lot of the times it's also providing um, things like ergonomic assessments, work assessments, home assessments. And that's one of the, the areas that that both uh, clinicians, uh, medical professionals, rheumatologists, as well as uh, uh, physiotherapists and allied health forget. It's not about things that we just do to patients. It's also trying to optimize their environment to allow them to be able to function at home, whether they have a, uh, a child, a, you know, a sick spouse or themselves, be able to work in their environment to provide income. A lot of the times, at least in, in Canada and in the US, uh, insurance benefits might be tied to employment. So a, a patient that has uh, the ability to function and, and provide, uh, you know, has benefits. And, and that's really what the overarching goals are, is how do we identify things to minimize the overall disability and impact on that patient? So I have been through many cycles of physical therapy <laughs> with, with spondylitis. And one of the really interesting things I think about. So I'm at a, right, I, I go through a cycle of physical therapy and then because I'm having extreme pain or uh, maybe something's not working properly or something's going on and my doctor's concerned uh, that we need to take a look at it. So I go to physical therapy for six weeks mm -hmm. or however many visits. Um, I've reached a point now where I finish physical therapy. I kind of go back to try and getting back onto my normal routine of whether it's exercise or whatever. But then I often reach a point where I say, okay, I'm ready to like up my game yeah. in exercise or how does a patient, and I know we're, we're getting probably to one of the questions that's way down below that I didn't pre-read well enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually better. It's been a crazy day, but uh, how do we, make sure that this, it really doesn't end, right? When we have a chronic disease, we, we got to keep tweaking and like trying. And I go through periods where I'm running and then my hips bother me. So I go to physical therapy and I stop running. Then I have, and do you find that patients need to develop sort of a, whether it's a relationship with their physical therapist ongoing or 
a relationship with the idea of physical therapy as part of life for what we're what we're facing. In your example that you just your your own example is exactly what we're trying what we try to articulate at least to our residents and and early clinicians to try to educate them that if you're going to be treating in this population you become almost a, a mentor a coach a life coach on exercise prescription and activity modification it's not uh, it's completely different than when we treat sports injury uh, patients you know you have an Achilles or a rotator cuff or some other thing where you want to go in for your six to 10 sessions and it's, you know, one treatment and you're done with chronic disease, especially with spinal arthropathy. We, we forget that it's not a one and done. It's an assess of baseline, right? Document exactly where you are at this stage when you got diagnosed, you know, do a baseline fitness assessment, do all the metrology and the metrology is just measurement. And a lot of the time we're lacking because the measurement of how the, that the person was at time zero point zero. When you come back at a year or two years later, it's very hard for you to remember. You know how much mobility did I have in my neck, or what was my my cardiovascular um, you know status at that point? So I think having that documented and you going back to the same team or the same clinician, then to reassess you and say yes, you know you've decreased here by ten degrees or twenty degrees, and your function or your strength has decreased. Therefore, you can push the patient forward at an appropriate interval. Yeah. Postural exercises, flexibility, uh, core strength, that's a continuum. So as you move through that continuum, you might need uh, reevaluation and again, up your game. And another thing that and it's our fault as, as medical professionals, what we forget is patients age, right? Sports and hobbies and recreational activities that you did when you were in your 20s which you know might be basketball softball you know uh, other activities m change as you age you know your preferences change you know when you're in your late 30s or 40s you might start weightlifting or, or running or bowling and then you start getting into cycling and then we get into pilates and then eventually everyone's golfing and walking for exercise but when you go to a clinician your rheumatologist your physiotherapist that's treating you it's do this set of core exercises and do this, uh, you know, Pilates or yoga, and then we're done. And I think that's, um, I think that's a, a, it's a concept that we're moving away from. Yeah. Your preferences change over time. Your situation at work and home changes over time, right? Your preferences to physical activity and ability to do those change over time. So therefore we need to change over time and prescribe the right form of exercise that's conventional as well as sports and recreation. And why do I say sports and recreation? Because if we don't um, implement things that you find interesting and fun, then you will not adhere to that program, right? There's a certain core exercise that I think is beneficial that we, we treat and manage spinal arthropathy, range of motion, cardiovascular exercise, et cetera. But honestly, that can get boring. So yeah. I need to facilitate that and say, Jill, you're interested in, you know, yoga versus aqua fitness because you can't swim. Well, aqua fitness might be a therapeutic pool, might be one of the recommendations. But if Jill can't swim, there's no point really talking about going to a swimming program, right? So I think as professionals, we need to get to know the client, spend a lot of time with that education, and then be willing to work with you to modify those activities. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. So in 
you made me come up with two questions. We're totally in the weeds, by the way. So that's great. <laughs> uh, two questions though, right? You come up with, so as an example, I was in physical therapy, was re released back into the wild. Yeah. Decided to start strength training again. And I'm like, eh, I can't exactly deadlift 85 pounds anymore that I did a year ago. Yeah. So I kind of like picked up a couple of things and then like I emailed the physical therapist and I said, Hey, what do you think I need to work on specifically to be able to get to where I'm working on deadlifting again? Uh, and, and I think those are, th that ideally is the relationship. And there's often this, um, because I went through a period where I, I refused to go to physical therapy because I was like, I can do whatever I want in the gym. And yeah. I felt like, but I think that this is where we have to get into, it's the management of the disease as, right? How do you manage the acute versus the chronic? Yeah. And the acute would be when you need two or three days a week of physical therapy for six weeks. Right. And the chronic is just every day, right? Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, you're sprained or you, you had a muscle or myofascial pain from doing an activity and uh, that needs a, a short intervention, a short period of time of intervention. Um, and, and that might be a course where you're going, but your example about deadlifting coming in and that's an activity you choose that you want to go into, which means I need to bring you in and assess to make sure your lumbar sacral spine has enough mobility, your hip, your glutes are firing, etc., to be able to modify that. So you, um, are, are able to do the activities safely, uh, without causing injury. Uh, so your deadlifting example was a, it was an excellent, uh, uh, point of, of discussion. So no if you came to your therapist and said, I want to go back to deadlift and it has been an activity I haven't tried. It's a new activity. The role that we would play as physical therapists is to bring you in and to ensure number one, reassess to make sure that you have enough mobility in your lumbar sacral spine in your hip, hip girdle, etc., and glute firing muscle strength to be able to do that activity with proper form to not injure yourself. Right. And, you know, after assessment, you you may have had some restrictions in there or, you know, that's a discussion to say, listen, Jill, you know, you don't have enough strength in these muscles. You don't have enough mobility, articular mobility in the spine or in the hip. And it's my judgment that we need to work on some mobility first, some range of motion, maybe stretch out the Achilles. You go into a deep squat, uh, you might injure that and get uh, increase your enthesitis uh, and, and you might become symptomatic. And then maybe we do this slowly, modify the number of repetitions, modify the weight and have that discussion. And I think that is a perfect example of how you choose to do an activity. You come to your therapist and it's my job to assess and modify it so you don't get injured. So that's really the, that's the long-term management strategy. That, that's the long-term management strategy. Early in, the, in my career, and I think in the treatment paradigm, we would say, you know, don't do these exercises or don't go into, uh, you know, hockey or, or karate or high impact things because really your risk of fracture and trauma, uh, trauma and fracture is high. So we would avoid all these activities and play it safe. Now, I may still say that if you you're completely fused or you don't have the restrictions in there but our, our our role really as professionals is to come in and say you've identified that you would like to participate in an activity that means that jill would be more likely 
to keep this activity for the long period of time. And then you will get benefits from cardiovascular, strengthening, mobility, and exercise really has the added improvement or benefit of physical well-being, improved um, you know, psychological well-being, meaning that it helps with depression and, and sort of that that other all that soft thing, soft sort of non MSK related um, conditions that you get the benefit. So right. our role is to come and say, you've identified that you would like to participate in this. My role is to figure out a can you do it safely or how long or how much do we have to work to get you to that point? Right. And that's the relationship. So it's not coming in once a week for ultrasound or acupuncture or treatments for a myofascial injury. It's getting you to the point where you can safely participate in the activity you chose and to do it in a way where we can we can continue to monitor you over a long period of time. Because my goal is to say, Jill, I would like you to continue with your deadlifts or, or your, you know, your yoga over the course of one, two, three years to get the benefit, not just do it for six weeks, get injured and then never come back to see me because you had a bad experience. So, yeah. OK, so let's pick back up on this idea of like. Physical therapy is as, as an enabler That's right. and a risk mitigator. It's right? yeah. like, the risk of you getting hurt as a patient, but enable you to be have the life you want to live. That's exactly. Our job is to identify the impairments and most of your audience probably won't have a clue what that means, but they do understand improved function and limit disability, right? How do I keep you? doing the things that you want to do and minimize that the impact of the disease from an MSK perspective, my musculoskeletal perspective, uh, you know, in your environment and work, that's basically the bottom line. Right. And then the rheumatologist, you know, job with medication, et cetera, treat, treatment of the disease is another component. And the two together, hopefully gives you the best outcome. And as you're working through this, do you look at the changes in medications to uh, what's going on in, like, in the treatment plan? If a medication changes, do you maybe expect that the patient may experience something different? Yes. Good point. Excellent point. And I think that's where the communication between the, uh, the patient, uh, referring uh, physician, rheumatologist, uh, you know, and sometime in the community, it's the depending on access might be just a nurse practitioner or a family practitioner we have a very close relationship um, because a lot of the the treatment paradigms are this treat to target perspective you might be put on you know an NSAID or a biologic medication and then the rheumatologist says try this three months six months later and they're going to look at response right right and if i put you on a program and, and say jill you're going to go back to these deadlifts and you cause a substantial amount of pain and discomfort in your low back and your hips and your, um, you know, your knees and your ankles over the enthesis. You go back to your rheumatologist after three months of starting on biologic therapy and you have a flare. You, you're, you're painful everywhere. Was that the fact that the medication was not responding or the fact that Angelo put you on uh, a too aggressive uh, deadlift program? Right. For so, like causality. <laughs> exactly. And, and and it's very difficult for the patients to think about that, but it's very important in our perspective. So what I would like to say is, you know, the more information you come back, you're starting a new medication or they switched medications or, for example, um, 
in women, if you're planning pregnancy and you have to come off a biologic or a treatment, sure. um, not making a lot of changes and maybe saying, listen, let's see how you respond when you're being switched or, or to, you know, you're, you're doing planning for pregnancy, et cetera. Maybe we should switch the program and not start this right now. So your rheumatologist and the rest of your team has a better idea how you're responding to the medication once you're at that dose, once you're at, you've had that, you know, 12 week course where they can um, really see the effectiveness of that medication and then reinitiate. Right. Right. And I think that's, that's critical because you'll go back into clinic and the, 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 uh, the risk is that, you know, you had such a big flare because I started you on a really aggressive program that the rheumatologist thinks that you're not responding to that medication when really it's the fact that you've gone in, you're working a physical job if you're a construction worker and I've given you an exercise program uh, and you go home and you have to, you know, do your gardening now in the summer and, and all these are conflating factors. So you have to look at the big picture. You have to look at the entire spectrum of everything. And then we have to fit in that therapeutic exercise where where it's appropriate and at the dose and interval that it's appropriate and maybe sometimes don't change too many things at once <laughs> exactly exactly and very slow you know this we tr we try to be lifelong uh friends or or, or life coaches in, in in this and and really it's okay to say let's not make any changes for the next three to six months yeah. your mobility your muscle strength your cardiovascular um endurance is not going to dramatically drop off the, the cliff if we do nothing for, for three months, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe take, take it back to do just the range of motion or, you know, Pilates or yoga program a couple of days a week and do just general fitness, like a walking program, and then revisit when you're on a stable therapeutic dose uh, and then reinitiate it, right? Yeah. So I think, I think again, if there's any loss in um, or increase in disability, for example, you're taking more time off work because you can't manage, you know, uh, you're not able to look after your loved ones at home. You're not able to do things that you need to do uh, because you're having significant flare uh, or intolerance because of medication and exercise. I think it's time for us to all reevaluate and, and adjust it. And I think that's why the communication between the client is, is more than just coming in there for that six treatments or eight treatments of, you know, ultrasound or tens or pain modalities. Um, and you're gone. It, it, it's building that how much, when to add, when to reduce, uh, and when to modify. Yes. Well, to quote one of my favorite Canadian authors, um, <laughs> in 12 rules for life, uh, which is we're looking for meaningful, not expedient, right? Exactly. That's, exactly. Um, and, and I guess this is probably a yes or no question, but like sometimes it gets worse before it gets better a little bit, right? There's this, yeah. this difference between, I find between where my muscles hurt after too much exercise versus what is related to something that could be turning into a flare and kind of knowing your body a little bit. Is that accurate? That, that's, that's very accurate. And, um, and, and sometimes it's frustrating you live there, you've lived with a disease for for a long period of time so you, you sort of know you know your, your body and you know when the flares are coming or what you know what is that that stiffness or that pain or that sensation um is it strictly just a sprain or doing too much or is it the the disease but for patients early on um you might be going to your rheumatologist and say well you're in disease remission blood work looks fine but you have pain everywhere 
and um, and and teasing out what is disease activity and what is um, from living day to day, doing your occupation and doing exercise takes a while, um, and for the patient and the uh, and the clinician to really hone down and be able to to say, well, this is from disease and this is from you just pulling out weeds uh, for you know three hours and doing gardening, right? right. So. I think it's the, the conversation has to be ongoing and, and over time you, you get a good judge of, you know, how much, you know, uh, exercise is causing the, the culprit or activity and what is really, a, um, you know, a flare. Okay. So I do have a, a question I have, we'll call it a, a non-empirical piece of research <laughs> that I've been collecting just as I talk to people. Uh, so one of the things that I have asked I don't know, we'll say 50 people and a couple practitioners is, do people with spondyloarthritis, particularly those that have it in the SI joint that it's prevalent, uh, do they tend to be people who overprotect their back and maybe overuse their hip flexors? And maybe this isn't your experience, but I have a theory and I'm curious on your, because one of the things I find that a lot of us struggle with is when we go to physical therapy, when we've had a stiff back our whole lives that we're trying to protect, we go to a, into a program and someone says, well, just strengthen your core. Yeah. And I know as the disease has been for me, and this is why I started asking anyone who would talk to me uh, about their experience was, do you actually know when you engage your core? And it's like, well, not really. Uh, and I, I will speak I'm just from asking people, do you, do you feel core, like core work when you leave a yoga class and they'll say, no, but my back really hurts. Right? Or, <laughs> or I wake up in the middle of the night and my hip flexors are on fire. Yeah. And I, I just have this theory that there's a population maybe with or without spondyloarthritis that we don't actually we need like much more basic one on one, one point lesson on this is what it feels like to engage your core. And here's how you can tell it's happening. Yeah. And it's, I'm just curious on that because core, I think is obviously it's, it's key to. Yeah. And hopefully you've gone to a practitioner that will spend that one on one time. Yeah. Yeah. I have totally you how to activate the core and it's very challenging. So, um, you brought up very interesting points. So yes, you should be able to feel and activate and even palpate some muscles that we want. Now your hip flexor is typically what happens in, in posture when you'll, you will splint your, uh, spine, let's say into flexion because you have pain. Okay. What so happens, what does flexion mean? As you're saying that word, some of us don't know. Uh, it's when difficult to explain. Okay, so just imagine your your tailbone or your or your your butt goes forward and you're in a flex position. Okay, so okay. you're at a ninety degree angle. Uh, yeah, just slightly, slightly. Okay, this is kind of hard to to describe it. So what happens is your hip flexors in axial spot you typically will go into a shortened position, as do your hamstrings, and it forces your pelvis into that anterior tilt. So you feel stiffer. Oh. So it's very difficult from that shortened position to activate those muscles that tip your pelvis back 
and that's what we we want okay. you to do this is so what, you, yeah, so what what we need to do is is identify those are the impairments so we identify that maybe your hip flexors are short and your hamstrings are short and not the right tension and we have to give you specific stretching exercise routine to lengthen them and then we work on the core to optimize right because think of it as two two tight ropes over there and, and it's controlling your pelvis so we need to identify that one muscle is short and one muscle is weak and it's usually the, the glutes that are weak and the uh, hip flexors and hamstrings are short so it tips your pelvis forward right so this is the whole point of going to a practitioner and you're looking at me on the screen <laughs> like this is an aha moment this is an aha moment because i've been a basic 101 physical therapist since <laughs> i was a teenager and no one has ever said to me this is what's going this was what could be going on because you have the condition you have that's right and, and, and but the, i've i've okay so i'm going to admit my question was somewhat selfish but i think it applies to a lot of us i've just come out of a year of trying to figure out how to let my hip flexors yeah. be a little more loose so i can engage my core and i literally have found my core in the last month for the first time in years it's hard so if you have two areas that are fixed and you have no movement now if the in, in certain patients you might have fusion right and yeah our and, I goal, and our goal is early on um treatment is to these posture exercises and mobility and flexibility are to continue to make sure that the joint is moving right medication is to prevent long-term sequelae of the of the fusion right so right. the goal is to maintain that and then the medication sort of suppresses that hopefully that disease so you don't get that spinal fusion now if your spine is not fused if you splint or brace yourself in a position right. over a long period of time, you will shorten those muscle groups and other groups will get uh, weak. That's the reason to go to physical therapy, right? Identify, yeah. <laughs> identify the impairment, work on the specific program over a period of time. Now, you brought up a very good point, um, and I'm not sure if we're getting into that at least in Canada and I'm sure in all of North America, the training for allied health, uh, you know, whether advanced practice uh, clinicians or just um, sports physios in the community, chiropractors, osteopaths, in the undergrad program, even the graduate programs, we get about a week in rheumatology. Yeah. Of training, right. So I think a lot of awareness, uh, on the condition and how to treat it and manage it is something that um, SA and other uh, organizations are really focusing on on educating clinicians as well as patients. So you don't have this experience, right, where you've gone, you know, 20 years with a condition and it's strictly biomechanics that um, anyone dealing with rheumatic disease should be able to articulate to you and get you on that program. Yeah, like um, you saw me, it's literally a jaw dropping moment. And there's not a lot of jaw dropping that I've found about this disease as I like, I thought I knew everything. <laughs> but this is, this is amazing, because and I, I guess I will say, something I've explored is I think, in order to make progress, I, I I've had this conversation in different facets of things I've had my fingers in women tend to need to know the process by which something occurs men don't always need to and i think it's just this maybe it's a difference in as we call it conditioning or but 
if I go to the bank and the bank declines me for a loan, I want to know why. Yeah. Typically, women want to know why, and men just go to another bank. <laughs> and it's, but it's interesting because what you just told me made me think like, as I move through this, I'm going to visualize like what's happening in my body. And I've been trying to do this, and it's probably why I unlocked a few things. But I was like, man, I can't even engage my core because everything else is so messed up, and my hip flexors, and I can't get my hamstrings long enough. And yeah. now I, yeah, thank you. Uh, to, and for anybody else who heard that, thank you. <laughs> Um, okay. So let's get out of the weeds just a tiny bit. Um, maybe not so much in Canada, uh, because I know you have a different health system than we do, but potential barriers to accessing physical therapy for people with, uh, whether it's spondyloarthritis or a different chronic disease, do those barriers exist or how do, how does somebody make sure that they're getting access to what they need for their care. So little, little um, caveat, the systems are a little bit more similar than you might believe. Okay. <laughs> so you have, you do have access to, um, you know, great care up here in Canada. You know, you'll see your rheumatologist, you see your physiotherapist, but having specialized centers or clinicians that are trained, like we just discussed in this rheumatic disease, there's still barriers of access because patients have difficulty identifying or who to go to, right? So that's number one, having a clinician that sees a lot of uh, patients with spinal arthritis or, or inflammatory disease uh, is challenging. Getting to know who does what at what center is still a challenge. Um, I think the number one challenge for patients is just identifying where to go just to have a basic conversation and get those baseline metrics. And I think what you need to do is uh, is really ask your rheumatologist or your your uh, nurse practitioner your family health team they know patients know they come back and report i had a great experience with this clinician at this clinic you know and they'll give that feedback to their rheumatologist and then when you ask them they will say go here because that's where that patient has good response from so yeah. asking the people that are the, the clinicians that deal with arthritis for an arthritis recommendation versus go to a sports clinic or a chiropractor or a physiotherapist that does, you know, uh, rotator cuffs or, or ACL reconstruction uh, rehab. Right. So getting to the right person is number one. Number two is access to uh, care. For example, the recommendations, um, the ACR recommendations, as well as the EULA recommendations, ASAS recommendations are physical therapy group exercise as well as um pool therapy right pool therapy aqua fitness is very beneficial but if you don't have access you're not in proximity to a pool you know it's a non-starter um yeah. even if you're in canada you know we had the whole COVID thing just like you guys uh down there and a lot of the public access pools were shut down for an extended period of time and not reopening uh, both because of cost and you know liability and group class so that takes an, uh, an option away from that patient unless they have access to a condo pool or an, a private access pool, right? Um, I think the third biggest is cost, right? Physical therapy, whether you have private coverage uh, is, is an issue, which is why we try to keep patients employed because a lot of the time, at least in the US, your coverage is, is uh, tied to your employment. Um, so having to be, have the capacity to pay for therapy is critical. Now, I, we had a brief discussion that 
I don't think it's beneficial to see the physiotherapist or um, allied health professional every week for months on end. And, and I think that that um, just that whole discussion with them is mind blowing how much money you can spend on on professionals, right? Myself included. And listen, I'm a capitalist just like everyone else. And if you go to a physical therapist, our tendency is to want you to keep coming back, right? Because I make money off of that. But the treatment paradigm for chronic disease is assess, put you on a program, reevaluate six to 12 weeks later and continue that relationship over time. So your overall cost, let's say in a year, is substantially less than if you your typical treatment program post rehab for surgery, etc. I like it. Maybe right. we should start I mean, a new uh, a new physical therapy. Yeah. So I think listen, there's incentives incentives up here, incentives down in the U.S. I as know. well, costs. But I think when you look at it, giving your program, coming back six weeks later, reevaluate or three months you know, spending that insurance money on maybe an ergonomic assessment for work to make sure you have all these assistive devices, proper chair, proper computer setup, you know, uh, you know, it's our job to really maximize, you know, and get you the right treatment at that cost. Right. And, and if you can't, then it's putting on this, um, the right program or access programs that are publicly available. And for example, I don't know if we're going to discuss this, but I'll bring it up now. SAA has, fantastic um you know entry level programs on their website they have you have an exercise brochure that's on there that has been vetted by clinicians that everyone can get started day one on how to perform a great stretching program they have videos uh, back to action uh, again that are available for patients on the website where they have a strengthening a stretching component uh, yoga component um, so all these tools are available at no cost, right? The Europeans also have, NAS have a very good PDF as well as um, an iPhone app that shows you the exercises on. So there is really, I think cost should not be a barrier here because you can have access to materials that are very good and vetted by clinicians available on these sites to get you started. And then maybe you come back after you've done those programs for three to six months and just get the tune up like you did here with your, your deadlifts, right? You'd come back to me after doing this for three months and come back and see the therapist one time for an hour assessment. And I modify that, send you off. You come back in six weeks and see me. I think building that relationship and that trust over time um, is the approach that we take now. Yeah. And it's the tune up, right? It's the, this is the long game for us. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what? Let's pivot first. It's a long game for me too, uh, Joe, because then you'll come back to me for decades. Versus right. Six. It's customer <laughs> lifetime value, is what that is. Um, <clears throat> and I'm sure there's somebody tracking that somewhere. <laughs> uh, how much is she worth to me in the next 12 years? Uh, so the the question I think that's on a lot of people's minds is. I, okay, we'll say, I think when I go to physical therapy, I think after insurance, it's like $88 is my copay. And that's going to vary for everybody. Um, sure. Depending on your insurance plan, or maybe it's 50, yeah. we'll just use 50. And so I'm spending that, we'll just say 12 times a year, $600 a year. Yeah. 
people often look at me because I have like multiple gym memberships. They're saying, why would you pay $80 a month to go to a gym? And I'm like, because $960 a year is not to me. I spend more than that at Starbucks for sure. I, right. uh, but the other benefits I think of when I go aren't, what is it costing me in dollars? No matter the currency, <laughs> but what is it giving me in health? And am I avoiding larger costs down the road? And you may not know the answer to this, but am I avoiding fusion, permanent damage? What is that, that investment? Especially if you look at it, I like the way you look at it as the long game. Yeah. Um, and I write the plan for improvement or maintenance, right? We're system. You have to maintain your... Your body is your most valuable asset. You have to manage it, maintain it. it. It takes preventative and ongoing maintenance. But what is the, like, is there some sort of known benefit to ongoing physical therapy when it comes to reduced, uh, reduced disease activity or fusing? Uh, okay, so that's a very- A very big question, sorry. Big question, a little uh, tricky and nuanced. So I will say in, in the long run, I get this asked a lot because some patients um, really uh, want to avoid conventional medication strategies, wanted to go the alternative medicine route plus exercise. My answer to that is that, that we're complementary, right? The physical therapy alone slash complementary therapies are just one component will not will not prevent sort of that damage that the disease will do over time right the inflammatory component the articular damage the organ potential organ damage that happens right cardiovascular events all those events will happen over time so the drug management is to help prevent that now what does the physical therapy and exercise component do? It allows you to be able to function better with less pain, with a better uh, and healthier mindset, right? Because we have the psychological impact. It allows you to be able to have better cardiovascular endurance, to be able to do the things you want to do, right? And I think the, the combination of the both gives you the best chance of requiring maybe potentially less medication for your symptoms. And that's the way I put it. What I do will not prevent long-term, you know, CRP from, de you know, decreasing, etc. Right. I really don't care. Patients don't come to me and say, my inflammatory marker CRP was uh, 37.5 and therefore do what you can uh, to help me reduce that. Patients come to me with, I can't lift up my baby <laughs> from the crib over here i can't lift the, my groceries out of the uh, car i can't you know i can't uh, go play with my kids i have pain in my my ankle my knees my hips my shoulders and my neck i can't turn to to drive my vehicle anymore they're function and pain right so how do we optimize function and pain to allow you to continue to do things and what value do you put on that right we're talking about cost so if you're not able to drive your vehicle because of restrictions in your neck and you're, you're a, I don't know, an Uber driver or you, um, 
you work for UPS down in the States. And that is, what's the economic loss versus spending, you know, a couple hundred dollars or your own time doing exercises, uh, a video program that the SAA has online. You only the individual can sort of weigh the pros and cons. I think the economic value is much, much higher if you do not do the physical therapy and exercise in combination with the potential medications you may need, right? The goal always is to maintain function, reduce disability for the minimum amount of medication that's required, right? That is always the goal. Yeah. And if you, if for some reason you've lost efficacy of that medication and you need to move on to something else, something better comes out in three to five years, they're always doing new research. It's to maintain you on the minimal amount of medication to keep your level of disability at that same level, right? To allow you to function or else what's the point, right? I can put you on a medication, drops your CRP down to normal, but then you're so deconditioned and you have ongoing pain from longstanding damage that you're still not functioning. Right. So it's, you know, but I am biased. I'm a physical therapist. So I, I believe that the economic value to the client is much greater than the, hopefully the output cost or the outlay that they will put out there. Yeah. I think that the way I would think of that, even on an individual basis is physical therapy, uh, various different complementary therapies, medication. Those are all our tools, right? That's like our hammer and our screwdriver. We have to put as individuals, we have to take all of our own personal variables into a bucket and kind of determine our, our results or like, if I say I have these four tools at my disposal, I want to change this, but these are all my variables, right? I'm uh, a mom or I have a job or I can't do a job or I have, I often complain to my team. They always want me to re like return emails. And I say, when I type too much, my wrists flare That's right. and I don't want to have carpal tunnel surgery. So but I do know if I go strengthen my wrists and I'm not emailing eight hours a day, hey, I'm a much better human being. Uh, so we have to look at our own variables to understand which tools work and where and what's most beneficial. Right. Bottom line is very individual to the client to allow you to do things that you want to enjoy. Yes, I love that. Okay, so we better wrap because we've, <laughs> we've talked for almost an hour <laughs> other than my technical difficulties. Uh, this has been fantastic. Let me ask you this. What one, one tiny piece of advice would you give to anyone across the board with spondyloarthritis? Oh, that's tough. Um, do your research, find clinicians, your rheumatologist and a, and their associated team that you trust, follow their advice, but be open to communicating with them what your goals are or what you're sort of envisioning, right? Make sure that you give me that information. And then our job is to assist you on that path. We're not mind readers. We all, come from different perspectives. The rheumatologist will hit you from the rheumatology perspective and we got our blinders on. 
the physio will hit you with the physio blind. The yoga instructor hits you with the with the yoga blind. Yep. And, I th- and, and I think the you have to take charge of your well-being, right? It's your body. It's your pain. It's your discomfort. It's your, you know, activity within the community. And I think you have to articulate that. And if you're not comfortable with that clinician, move on. Yeah, or anyone else won't get fed. And I think a lot of times patients, and it might be due to access, I think a lot of times patients fear that by voicing these concerns, they'll get cut off or their clinicians. And if that happens, it wasn't the right clinician for you. Yeah, that's my advice. We build a therapeutic relationship with every client. And it's our job to make sure that your goals are met. And it's our job to tell you if it's a bad idea to do something. And, and sometimes it is. I will tell you, listen, Jill, I do not think that this is safe for you to do. And I have to be able to articulate that and get you on the path to be able to do something else. And that's that's where the, you know, the trust comes between the uh, clinician and and yourselves. Yeah, it's exactly. a joint effort. It's a joint effort. And, and it's not me prescribing down to you or the physician prescribing down to you it's how do we bring everyone at the table together all the team players and 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 try to optimize you that that's the biggest advice that i can i can tell you and yeah i i'm gonna land on this because i think what you're saying i have this framework in my head of any relationship in your life right can span whoever it is you have to be willing to talk about your values and how you enjoy life where your boundaries are at and what you're afraid of like values, boundaries, fears, that framework. If you can have that with whoever your practitioner is or other relationships in your life, you become a much happier human being. I think so. So, all right. On that note, um, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to deadlifting and then we're going to talk about my next phase. My client, client, I'm going to get you for the next three decades. That's great. Next time I'm in Leslieville, I'll be there. I'm going to come and visit you. Um, that's an open invitation. If you want to come yeah. down, the hospital's ten minutes away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've, I'll probably be up there. I've got quite a group up there, so uh, I'm hoping to make regular regular visits. Uh, but thank you so much. This no has problem. been amazing, and I really appreciate your time and like your passion around this too. No problem. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks to SA for holding these uh, e- events. I think uh, great organization, and I think the more information. Um, stimulating information for clients and and uh and clinicians together it, it be- builds better outcomes in in the end for everyone yeah, you know yeah. totally spondycast was made possible by donations from the spondylitis association of america's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor abv since our founding in 1983 the spondylitis association of america has been the face voice and leading nationwide nonprofit educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.